Hi, this is Andy, the host of Exploring Improv. Before we get started with this show, I want to talk about another podcast that I'm in called Rotary. Rotary is an improvised comedy podcast, and it is my passion project. It follows a series of characters through a rotation of phone calls, and it's just really, really fun. It's completely improvised, and I would love for anyone who likes this podcast to check it out. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, really anywhere you get your podcast. You can also find us at facebook.com slash rotarypod. And without further ado, here is Exploring Improv. Welcome to Exploring Improv. I'm your host, Andy Barrett. Today's guest is Francisco Antion. Francisco is an improviser, coach, and teacher at the Assembly Mexico in Mexico City. He is also host of a wonderfully succinct and informative podcast called Long Form Short Pod, which is available in both English and Spanish. Francisco, how are you doing today? Hey, everything. everything's good, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. Um, I, as I was just saying, as we were setting this podcast up, um, I've wanted you to be on this show for a long time. And I've been on hiatus for most of the summer, but uh, you were the first person on my list that I wanted to ask uh, oh. once all that was back. It's my, my pleasure. So I wanted to go ahead and just uh, start from the beginning and uh, ask you, how did you get started in improv? All right. Well, uh, as many, many people, I started off... Uh, getting a notion from improv uh, because I was a teenage guy who was watching Who's Line because mm -hmm. that's what happens. Uh, but I wasn't uh, doing theater or anything. I, I'm from a little town, well, not a little city called Chihuahua, which is a northern city uh, here in Mexico. And uh, yeah, we were just having uh, the, the life one would expect from people outside the big cities in Mexico. It's very conventional. The arts weren't very uh, encouraged as a profession or a hobby. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I was just, I graduated law school and I was in politics for some reason. So <laughs> yeah. For and, some reason. And uh, politics brought me to Mexico City. Then I was... Uh, since I was watching TV and I was watching uh, both improv and uh, stand-up comedy back in the day, uh, just as I was ready to return to Chihuahua, I learned that there was stand-up here in Mexico City. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, let's try that for a couple of months. That turned out to be good for me. So I stayed uh, for a little bit more doing stand-up and then got another day job. Then I found out about improv and I, I started doing short-form improv. Uh, which was fun, but then I realized that long form existed and that <laughs> blew my mind. And as most of the things I do, I just started, started nerding out about improv incessantly until now, <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> well, including now, including now. Including now, yeah. Um, so how long did you, did you do short form before you transitioned to long form? Whew, that's about a year, a year and a half, I guess. Okay. And I'm just curious, how did doing short form first inform your long form or, or what was different to you? What were you able to carry over? What didn't carry over? I'm, I'm curious for you to talk about that. How interesting. Well, I think something that accidentally carried over was the narrative part of improv because everyone 
is so imbued with i mean we as humans we have stories as a mindset as a way of seeing life so i believe that carried over but that's something that i later was uh very wary of and and didn't want to do because i wanted to live in the moment and not to plan the story or the plot so yeah i believe that and maybe <laughs> also the jokey part of improv i think the wit uh the witty comment the uh, breaking the fourth wall whenever that happens it's fun if it happens from time to time mm-hmm. uh but yeah i believe those two things narrative and uh yeah witty comments okay so you feel like the witty comments uh carried over less to to long form is that what you're saying yeah a bit less i mean when i started doing long form i think i had my brain going in the same direction so okay i can make this little joke here this little wordplay thing here and that might be funny and i it got laughs because that's the way that works but then i realized oh okay so now i am done with the jokes and i have nothing less so i had to start <laughs> uh, working on my skills doing scene work and that's when things got interesting yeah i think that is interesting something i've actually been thinking about lately is uh the nature of comedy in long form and how it's funny that i feel like no pun intended it's funny that uh <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the first thing we do in improv is teach people don't be funny because people will come into a long form class and they think that it is about wit and it is about jokes. Um, but at a certain point, you do have to start getting back to teaching them, okay, well, this is how to be funny in the quote unquote right way. Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistake- mistaken, the assembly, the theater that you're at, um, they do teach like game-based long form, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think... Um, What's really fascinating to me about that is that, again, we spend so much time explaining how you're saying, like, don't be funny. But game, I feel like that is how to be funny. It's it's yeah. the language describing how do we take something funny and make it last over a period of time rather than a one-off thing. Um, and, like, in your own words, like, how would you say that... Um, what is the difference between being funny and it being uh, detrimental to a scene versus being funny and it being a positive thing for the scene? Like, what is what is the difference there? Well, that would be probably uh, if you're serving the game of the scene. If we are getting into the game terminology, I believe that's when a joke or a little, uh, you know, uh, ironic comment can work even though it's not what we are looking for. Uh, Because, yeah, the the whole thing is just serving the main thing of the scene. Even if we don't think about game, if we think about relationship or or if we think about uh, dynamics or, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, uh, there are many kind of terms for that kind of thing. But the main thing of of the scene, if your joke just gets you out of there, probably that's not the way to go. Right. What is, uh, to you, I, you've talked about this a little bit on your podcast, at least here and there. Uh, what, to you, what is, what do relationship and game have in common and improv? Oh, interesting. Well, I think actually game and relationship are one and the same because game isn't, is the way we are relating to each other. It's the way we are treating each other. It's a pattern of behavior between two or more characters. And uh, that's basically a relationship. Uh, in Mexico, 
we have this, uh, well, I believe it's Mexico and uh, Hispanic America, or both in Spain and Latin America, that we have PROL. It's uh, an acronym for character, relationship, objective, and place or location. And okay. when teachers are setting up this PROL concept, they go with relationship as, okay, you are the mom and She's the daughter, and that's your relationship. And the thing is, relationship is not your labels, but it's the way you treat each other, How, what kind of mom you are, what kind of daughter you are. And that way, it makes both game and relationship be the same. It's a mm -hmm. pattern of behavior between both characters. Yeah, I actually, I can't remember where I heard this. I, it was, I think this is Kevin Mullaney. He was on a, on a podcast. Uh, and of course, Kevin Mullaney, he was the artistic director of UCB and yeah. came up at IO while Dell was there. And he was talking a little bit about the history of game. Um, and originally, at least according to Kevin Mullaney, it was originally uh, Dell Close who started talking about game of the scene And he explicitly meant it to be a pattern of behavior between characters. And it was actually UCB and the family before then that kind of elevated that concept to being the premise of the scene. Um, but it has its roots as a pattern of behavior. And I think that DNA is still fully there. Um, which I think some people think that game just means a series of jokes in a pattern. But I think game played at a tight is almost indistinguishable from relationship played at its height, in, in my own opinion. Yeah, I mean, if you are doing uh, maybe a, you know, a montage or a Harold or Ascad or an Armando, I think it can be tricky. But once you do like a mono scene or something like that, you have to flesh out your, your who, what, where, your basic reality, so you can have something richer outside of the game. And then you can see how relationship and game go hand in hand, actually. One thing that I find... Um, tricky sometimes with teaching. And I mean, students eventually get it, of course. But one thing I find tricky with teaching sometimes is that I do feel like you need to teach relationship both ways almost. And by that, I mean, you need to, in my opinion, I think base reality is really important to scenes, at least if you want them to be comedic. Um, and there's different people who have different views on that. But I prefer the idea of, I like to know who you are what you're doing and where you're at, because that gives context to any kind of comedy or relationship that may spring from that. So I, I teach people on its face, like I do need to know who you are to each other. Like, are you a mother and a daughter? Um, and sometimes if I focus on that too much, they get hung up on it. But also sometimes if I uh, tell them focus less on that and focus more on uh, the pattern of behavior, then they forget to actually label what they are. So it's kind of like, uh, yeah. what, what do you do like at handling students and like getting that concept across to where like they do both things and not just one or the other? Oh man, it's just a lot of side coaching, I guess, because you yeah. know, it happens once you are aware of game, you want to play game all the time. And then yeah. uh, everything around it is just disappearing. And, The thing is, as you say, if you don't know who you are or where you are or what are you, what you are doing, uh, you don't know how unusual the unusual thing is, after all, mm -hmm. because you lose all sense of what real feels like, and then you are just in a crazy world with, where this character exists and must have a reason to behave this way, but we don't know about it. It's just crazy town now. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a that's a great way of putting it. I think side coaching, I think that's what I ultimately end up leaning on too. Like there's different exercises that do both, but I think myself as a teacher and a coach, I rely on side coaching to be like, I try to catch that moment where um, they're going off the rails and, I, and I'll be like, okay, but what's really, what's going on? What's the base reality here? And then as yeah. soon as they do that, they're back on the rails again. Or if they're, if they're doing if they're doing an interesting or if they're doing a base reality, but not getting to anything, I'll be like, okay, now what's really going on. Um, we'll be like the side coach for that. And I guess it's just being directed a certain way enough times that it just clicks in your own head. Um, mm. either that or I'm ruining people. I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> um, so how early in the, uh, history of the assembly did you, uh, start there? Like how long had they been around when you started? Well, actually, well, the assembly comes from Canada, from Toronto. Uh, yes, yes, yes. They started out, uh, many of them were in Second City and other theaters. And then eventually, I believe, I'm not sure, but Second City closed their long-form program and the assembly was formed. It was about three, four years ago, three or four years ago, yeah. And uh, Sara de Lille, uh, who is a Mexican improviser, she had this long-form troupe called Tobogan, and they were doing long form uh, in a game-based kind of way. You know, just as uh, Truth in Comedy was the Bible for some people, and they didn't know anything but Truth in Comedy, they tried to make the Herald happen in little cities. Uh, we had the UCB manual, so mm. they had that, and they started doing the shows and whatever they thought game was. And Sarah tried to get some teachers from a podcast, Rob Norman, incidentally, from the Backline podcast, uh, to come to Mexico with his partner, Adam Colley. And then both of them told Sarah, hey, you know, uh, there's this thing called the assembly. You can talk to Martha, who is the one who's running things, so you can bring it back here. And yeah, they talked, they hit it off. And then about uh, two years ago, this November, uh, the assembly, the assembly was born. I was, I started wow. as a coach of Tobogan because I was also doing games. They had coaches before who had, uh, formation in narrative, uh, short form improv, and it was different. They didn't get the concepts. At least I knew the book and I knew the terms, even mm -hmm. though I wasn't all that big in the improv scene. I'm not big scene still. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, two years ago, we started this thing, and I was one of the first teachers and coaches, and w we started a new team where I was a player. So yeah, it's been two years now. Wow, that's awesome. That's really... So you've been doing long form for two years, and then uh, short form a period of time before that then? Uh, no, long form, I started doing it uh, about two, two and a half years before we started the assembly, I had. I see. I see. Two years ago is when the assembly started. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Okay. I see. I see. I see. So you actually started. So my question was actually nonsensical because you started before the assembly had even yeah. formed into the assembly. I see. I see. Yeah. Um, we had a little team that did a couple of uh, shows and then for some reason the, the team broke apart and I was an orphan. So the assembly kind of adopted me and here I am. Very nice. Very nice. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Um, so, uh, is there getting back to theory a little bit? Um, 
Is there a particular concept in improv that you've been thinking a lot about lately, or maybe just a concept that you are particularly passionate about in general, whether it's lately or in general? Lately, I have been uh, a big justification guy, justification in the sense of how the UCB uh, mm -hmm. and all those teachers treat you know, justification, because there was this the early concept of justification about just taking mistakes and incorporating them through your scene. And I'm more of a justification in the why mm -hmm. of the unusual behavior kind of guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny that you're interested in that now, because that's actually exactly uh, a thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Great. Um, so let's have a conversation about it. Let's Why do not? This. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I've been thinking about lately with justification is that in a lot of ways, the justification is the game. Um, because, you know, if you looking at UCB style improv, which is more or less what I do, um, it's you find the first unusual thing, but the first unusual thing is just a thing that happens. Uh, the justification is really what the core behavior is. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can come up with like a example, like off the top of my head. Okay. Well, there was a, there's a group that I'm coaching um, and they did a scene where it was two, it was a pilot and a co-pilot. Um, and one of the pilots was, uh, like, you know what? I'm not worried about the safety equipment this time. Um, and like, that's like the first unusual thing, uh, or there might've been something more minor before that. Cause that's often how it goes in an organic improv scene. There's something minor that ends up kind of building into a yeah. behavior. Um, but that was like the first unusual thing for the sake of the example. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, why? Um, because if it's just, if she's just shutting down safety equipment, that's gonna, that is going to be funny. But like, if we don't know why she's doing it, it's kind of the audience starts being like, okay, well, why is this happening? Like what's going on? So then you have to think about, well, what is, what is the, the why driving it? And in my opinion, uh, this is something, a, a tell me what you think of it, but I have this theory lately that a justification is a good justification is either a personal belief of, or philosophy or an emotional point of view. Yep. Um, so like a personal belief or philosophy would be like, um, I believe that, uh, you know, safety equipment is too much because uh, we live in a, a nanny state government and I don't need the government telling me what to do. Um, and what's great about a justification like that is that that can happen literally anywhere. It's not just a pilot on a plane. It's a, a clerk at a grocery store. It's a, it's a male person. It's a firefighter. It's, it's a father. Um, it's literally anyone in any circumstance can have that belief. Um, or an emotional point of view might just be like, um, you know, I'm a lazy person. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to have to get up and handle all this safety equipment. So I'm just going to turn it off. And that would just be that would be an emotional point of view. Yeah. Um, so that's my theory that it's either the best ones are either a belief or an emotional point of view. Does that seem to track for you? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, the way I teach it is just about think about how your character thinks, believes or feels. And basically that's it. Yeah. It's if, uh, it can be emotional like or intellectual. Yeah. Whatever you think, your ideas, your, your car concepts and your beliefs. I, I mean, I think at the end, it's, it's about beliefs, about your, the belief system, the, the vision that this character has and the filter through uh, which he or she see the world. Yeah. And I think that's really the key because 
when people first start learning justification in the sense of saying why a character has an unusual behavior, what I see a lot, and sometimes I'll, I'll even do this myself and I'll catch myself doing it, where it's like it's some historical reason like, oh, my parents did this to me or um, this circumstantial thing yeah. happened. Um, it, like the plane example would be like, well, my father was a pilot and he survived. It's like, well, then there's not really, even that's not the worst, I guess, but you don't have any autonomy over yeah. it. And I think that's the thing. If you have, the character has to have ownership exactly. over their own behavior. I think that's what it comes to. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I That's the thing. Uh, justification has to be something the character owns because if that's like, my boss gave me a, an order to do this or, oh, I'm just sick or drunk or whatever. If it comes from outside, it just, that's not behavior, actually. That's not something you are doing because you're convinced of, or of something. You are doing, you're doing it because you, it's your duty or because you don't have any other reason. And if that's the case, then the thing is not unusual. It's what we yeah. should be expecting from you. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. It really isn't unusual when you look at that. I, I think this is popping into my head right now, but like one way you could think about it is um, it's we, games are hard when games are only based on circumstance. Because um, that's the thing. It's like, and that's what our first instinct is, I think, when we learn game, is that like, oh, this this circumstance is happening. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's just happening to the character, well, then if we go back to our definition of game uh, that we were working with before, that a game is a pattern of behavior, well, if it's all circumstantial and happening to the characters, then it's not a pattern of behavior. It's just something that is happening to be experienced by the characters. And suddenly yeah. the characters are just shells and not actual autonomous people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then if you went on with the scene or with a tag out or something and the behavior repeated itself, it would be like, then you would have to have a justification because it's no longer... Uh, an isolated incident. Now mm -hmm. it's about something else. It happened again, but why should it happen again? It's not about the circumstance then. It's about the character and what the character thinks or believes or feels. Yeah, that's totally, totally, totally true. What do you think, um, just kind of building off all of this and uh, doing a little, if this is true, what else is true, but in <laughs> podcast form. Um, <laughs> what... Um, what emphasis do you place on character uh, when you teach or when you play? Because there's a certain camp, I feel like, that kind of de-emphasize character and have, um, you know, we're, we're playing game, but we're kind of being ourselves, but in the circumstance. And then yeah. there's another camp of people that play big characters, but still with the game. Um, I, I'd say I'm somewhere in the middle with that. Where, what, what emphasis do you place on characters? Hmm, I'd say I am right in the middle as well, because... Uh, well, I think character is actually point of view. Mm -hmm. I am, well, in our experience here in Mexico, uh, certain improvisers are told to be great character improvisers because they do big, flashy uh, characters and they do the voices. Mm -hmm. uh, because we have a mostly uh, theatrical, uh, like serious theater uh, background on the way improv got here. Uh, so yeah, they love it when they do the physicality and the voice, uh, because you know that's what people seem to think it's funny in the surface. Um, 
but I think character is more in the point of view, especially in game, because, yeah, we want to know what the character thinks. If you don't have a point of view, you're just a cartoon, maybe. Uh, right. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to, uh, to act better, to be a better actor, and to do certain things that are um, more or less according to your point of view. You, If you are a shy person, you have a specific... Uh, kind of uh, movements and a set of uh, gestures and your voice works in a different way than if you are a person that's uh, really out there. So I believe if you can manage to attach your external factors to point of view, I am okay with that. But yeah, I'm more of a point of view kind of guy. Yeah, I think that that's fair. I I would almost say, gosh, this is hard. It's almost kind of the... um, like a uh, pirate robot theory yeah. um, of Billy Merritt's where it's like, it's kind of like outside in or inside out. But like at the end of the day, you can't, I, well, here's what I'll say. I think you can get away with just having a point of view without much physicality, but it's a lot harder to get away with a lot of physicality and no point of view, unless you're just doing something very quick, like how it is in like short form. Yeah. Because it's unsustainable. Um, ultimately. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it would take so, a lot of energy to sustain the the physicality, especially in those big characters that are moving a lot and they are big and the voice you can see or you can hear how the <laughs> voice is just hurting the throat because you are doing this crazy <laughs> voice and it's just two minutes and you are just going crazy with it. <laughs> you know, this also actually leads into something else that I've been thinking about lately too, which is how um, justification and point of view is really that's the gateway to the fun of the scene um because it's like we want to rush into i say we like the collective unconscious of (laughs) improvisers um we want to rush into a scene sometimes and just get to like the fun part um but you have to like earn uh that um and of course the flip side of that is that a lot of times when people have been learning especially game-based improv for a while um they get stuck in the part in the argument part um so if we if we go like the classic uh game style scene of unusual person and voice of reason Mm -hmm. uh the entire three minute scene might be spent with just the voice of reason calling out the unusual person and then having a debate about it which i think and if you if you disagree with this please let me know like i think that is absolutely essential that there be that that call out and that debate because that's what grounds it in reality yeah but I see a lot of people, and this is me too. Like this happens to me. Like I'm not gonna like exclude myself. I I, I feel like I do it less and less now that I've been more aware of it. But um, it's easy to get stuck in the debate section of it, and then you never actually move on to the fun part of the scene, which is acting out your point of view. Do you see that a lot when you're teaching, or even in your own play, ever at all? Oh sure, yeah. It's funny how uh, the more we are learning about improv and reading and listening to podcasts and watching videos and taking classes, we can realize we are doing a lot of things that are kind of crutches or uh, uh, some stuff that isn't uh, technically sound. So yeah, I've I've seen myself doing this, this whole argument thing because my voice of reason tends to be this calling out uh, person that gets more and more frustrated. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's just one of the many things one can do, but that's my default. And I think that 
that's why the whole justification and resting the game are so important. And that's right. why having a good context to your game is important because you have to realize that if two people are just arguing, one of them in real life would leave eventually because they cannot yeah. handle this kind of weird thing uh, or the weird weird or absurd character cannot stand this person that is just <laughs> calling his behavior or her behavior out. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think when you have this reality well set up, you can go back to it and you have to remember, okay, these characters are here for a reason, maybe a selfish reason. Maybe yeah. uh, I want something from the other character or maybe I just love this person. We are together because we we uh, love each other so we can rest the game and it can happen again because... I am not going to leave no matter what to my yeah. detriment even. I I literally cannot agree more. Like uh, <laughs> we, I feel like we're like kindred spirits in improv theory cuz <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> that's like exactly what I would say. Because that's the thing. It's like um it, there's got to be a reason. There has to be a reason why the two characters are there. Um otherwise they would leave. Um and also I, I took, I've taken this from like Bill Arnett in the past, but like if there really truly is not a reason and you can't come up with one, you literally have to leave because otherwise <laughs> yeah. it just becomes a farce, like it, or not a farce. That's not really the right word. It just becomes so implausible that it's, it becomes the unusual thing in the scene. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple of ways of doing it. Like how you said, um, one that I do fall back on a lot is the idea that like I make it to where my character uh, if I'm, whether I'm the unusual person of the voice of reason, I make my character care deeply about the other person and not want to give up on them. Yeah. Um, that is a, I think that's like, that's something I feel like can just be a scene hack in general. Like if you ever feel like you have to leave the scene, make the choice to really care about the other person. Um, and you can be frustrated by someone you care about. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend would say uh, that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about truth and comedy. Um, but yeah. And I, I think another thing too, and you touched on this uh, and this is something that I've been like learning and really incorporating this past year for me that has been uh, tremendous is um, really thinking about the simple want in the scene. Now, I've always been kind of iffy about wants and improv. Like I, I get wants when it comes to like theatrical acting, um, but in improv, it never really quite worked for me. Cause it's like the whole idea of like a deeper want, and maybe this works for some people and that's fine. But the idea of like a deeper want, it just never set with me. But recently this year through various people, I've learned the concept of just a simple want, like the voice of reason, like, for example, the the example scene that I brought up earlier with the plane, the simple want there is just that they want to fly a plane and they want to land it. Even the person who's doing all the safety stuff, like they still want to land the plane. So having that mutual, usually mutual want will keep people in the scene. I, I don't know how much you've you've. Does that resonate with you at all, or does that seem <laughs> anything accurate to you? <laughs> we are just copying each other's homework, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, I was totally on board with the thing of once belonging to uh, like serious theater and dramatic, uh, uh, like you know, scripts and mm. plays. Uh, but I was reading this book. It's a uh, Ben Hawk. 
Ben Hyde, I'm not sure if the last name is pronounced that way, okay. uh, about long-form improv. And he talks about the wants. And I realized midway through that, yeah, when you are uh, with voice of, voice of reason and uh, crazy person, absurd person, mm-hmm. both characters want something. Maybe there's this scene I hated when my when, when <laughs> the Tobogan, the team I coach, they do okay. a lot of Starbucks scenes. A lot of them. They just <laughs> love doing Starbucks scenes. And I think there's the thing where the customer is crazy and the barista is is being reasonable. And well, maybe uh, I get to the Starbucks and I say, I want uh, a mocha cappuccino and I have this cookie and I want a really, really soft hug. And it would be like, okay, why? <laughs> I, I'm not here to give you a hug. But then again, the absurd character wants the hug. And the normal character, the voice of reason, just wants to do their job. They just want. Yeah. And, and that's the basic want that can drive and can explain us how game works. I mean, maybe, and this is where justification, everything just connects. Uh, yeah. Because the character wants something, and maybe they want something that is something that everyone wants. We want affection, love. But the character is searching for it in an unusual way. Yeah. So maybe if your want is normal and the way you want to, or the way you are going about to getting to it is weird, that yes. this balance can help you do comedy and uh, also works, uh, you know, in the other way around. If you are doing something normal, but you want to get something weird in return. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like no, that. I, I totally, totally agree with that. Like, um, and that's actually something, um, I was coaching the same group I was talking about earlier. I was coaching them this morning actually. And I ended up, uh, giving this like mini lecture on the idea of like really justifications. They're not, they're reasonable. Like it comes down to like how you said, like, the real justification for that is like, I want to be loved. It's like the justification itself is, is the reasonable thing that the unusual person takes to an extreme or, or tries to achieve it in weird ways. Um, so if like, if, um, if the justification or I'm sorry, if, if the scene is like you're in Starbucks and they want to hug, well, it's like, I want to be loved makes perfect sense because it's like, well, why else would you want to hug? You know, like that's like the human reason why you'd want to do it. So it's like a reasonable person, like if they wanted to be loved, depending on what kind of love it is, they might, you know, get like a dating app or um, they might go see their parents or like whatever it is. But this person just like they just have like a faulty logic on how to achieve uh, this like core human want. Um, And like it's almost like justification is like working backwards toward a core human want. Maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm coming up with this on the fly. So maybe this is <laughs> no, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, yeah. Because it's all about, uh, there's this, this uh, Keegan-Michael Key thing that he talks about uh, how the, the scene starts with a close-up and then the camera goes, mm-hmm. uh, goes uh, doing a zoom out. And uh, yeah, basically that's it. We, we just saw a little thing that the, the character wants a hug from the barista but then if we go macro we can get to oh okay it's just because he does this all the time because he wants to be loved and wants to feel affection so what else does does this person do and that's when justification helps us go 
in more ways than one because then it would always be like this person goes to an establishment to get a hug but it goes beyond the hug and the yeah. establishment it goes just it, it's so much bigger than that and that's the cool thing about this nerdy thing of <laughs> justification yeah well it opens things up right because it's like once we know that it's because this character wants love but pursues it in unusual ways or however we want to phrase that that's even a little bit more broad but if they want to achieve or they want to pursue love then they don't have to be in a starbucks to do that yeah. um it could be any inappropriate situation where they just like ask for a hug um like whatever i, I mean classic example to uh you know astronauts getting ready to blast off it's like can i can i just unbuckle real quick and give you a hug i just i'm feeling really lonely <laughs> like <laughs> like or whatever like you can you can put it literally the best justifications are human and if they're human it means that it applies to literally any human that character may be interacting with yeah. in literally any circumstance um and that's the power because it's like you do got to do a little bit of work to set that up but once you do it suddenly the scene is totally wide open because if you yeah. don't do that you end up going down this narrower and narrower path where it's like okay we're at starbucks i'm still trying to get a hug i don't know why i'm doing it but i guess i got to keep doing it and then you start getting in your head and you start getting nervous and the scene starts falling apart because you didn't widen it out to see why you were doing it so that then you could apply it elsewhere yeah um if that makes sense yeah totally i, I agree 100 <laughs> percent. good um all right. Well, now that we've beaten that idea into the ground. Um, <laughs> oh, we're done? <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, we're not done until I say I'm done. <laughs> um, I, okay, that's fair. Um, uh, okay, so building on that a little bit, um, what about the the balance between being an improviser aware of the scene and what the scene's, scene needs versus being a character either pursuing their wants or going about being a character in this world like how do you balance being a character with being an improviser in a scene Whew. big it's, question yeah and it's really <laughs> difficult i mean as i was saying uh this uh being teachers or coaches uh gives us the technical uh elements just we we know the math now so mm -hmm. when we are in a scene it it's possible that we are just starting to see numbers going and formulas and then we lose our character a little bit. I think that does happen to me a lot. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, I love theory and, and nerding out about improv. So, yeah, I'm just like, oh, yes, this justification movie was so genius. And, I, and, and okay, she did that because of this other thing. So, okay, I'm lost. Well, who was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah. was the, the clerk. I was the, the maiden. Who was I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Like, it, it, I have the same thing because I, I think I'm very, I come at improv from a very left brain standpoint, which I feel like sometimes that gets, I, I, I'm not ashamed of it because I think that it's like, it's a really, I like that I look at it that way. It just means I have to work a little bit harder at the right brained emotional stuff. Mm -hmm. um but it's uh i'm not sure where i'm going with this but like <laughs> <laughs> you, that's the thing that happens yeah yeah exactly yeah there we go this is exactly this is a perfect example of what we're talking about um so uh switching gears uh a little bit um 
I've been doing much uh, improv online uh, over Zoom since it's, you know, 2020 and everything's crazy. Yeah. Well, I've been maybe at the start, like around May, June, July, I was doing a lot of a lot of, of online improv. I'm doing uh, a little bit of that right now as well, especially classes. I'm taking 301 of UCB right now, for example, and nice. then drop-ins here and there. And, uh, well, my team does uh, training sessions, so we're doing a lot of, of online improv. It's, uh, I, I think I adapted to it well, but, yeah, I think I am getting close to the point where I need a rest. Yeah, I was that that's been me like since this is all started. um, I've taken classes with. uh, Well, I don't want to brag it, but (laughs) it's neither here nor there. I've taken a lot of classes. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Will Hines, Miles Stroth. Yes. uh, Billy Merritt, uh, Todd Fasson. Oh, right. uh, Greg Tavares, Tavares, um, Kimberly Alou. Mm-hmm. um at the pit um lots of lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of uh improv great people. um yeah absolutely 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 um i kind of yeah I, and i kind of hit a point sometime last month where i i had to start scaling back because it was just getting too much and uh i actually had a point now this is part of why i've started recording this it's like so, i don't know what happened but there was this i woke up one day and it's like I love improv so much again. <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure that'll happen to you too if you take a break. Yeah, I because I am still in love with improv and I am I mean the thing is I stopped doing certain like uh jams that were happening mm-hmm. on a regular basis weekly. I I would go to two or three jams and uh yeah, after a while, it got a bit uh, tiring just to do the whole thing about being on Zoom and then everything that involves being on Zoom right. uh, and the classes and coaching. And when I had a day job, the day job would entail some Zoom activities as well. So, right. yeah, I had to do that. And then I started writing a little thing about improv as well. So, yeah, it was like I had a lot of things going on. And then the writing took a lot of my time. So I started naturally giving uh, all the online things away. So I'm down, but I'm still hooked a lot. What are you writing uh, for improv? It's uh, If you don't mind me asking, if it's no, like yeah. if something you want to keep down low, no, it's no, fine. No, 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 no. It's a, uh, it was originally going to be a booklet. It has grown into a book, I think. Awesome. So, yeah. What's it? What's the? What's in the book? Like, what's if again? I don't. I don't give away anything you don't want to give away. <laughs> but like, I'm very curious. It's a kind of a manual about game based long form because, uh, well, I was starting to to see how game isn't something that we all get in Mexico and Latin America is something that we don't know about, and uh, I want to translate certain concepts. And uh, everything I've had the opportunity to learn from teachers like, you say, Miles Stroth, Will Hines, uh, Brian O'Connell, uh, all of those great mm-hmm. people. And uh, I was like, yeah, I have all this information and I can share it with people uh, with the selfish purpose of maybe some th- someday someone will want to play with me and they will know how to play the game I like to play. So that would be fun. So, yeah, I started uh, like writing in Spanish and then I... I am translating it 
and cleaning up the version in English as well. I don't know if it would work as well because there are a lot of books in English and I'm not sure how much would I be contributing to the conversation that hasn't been already said, but let's see what happens. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think you should. And I really think the Spanish version, that's awesome. Uh, Because like, what a great way. Because I mean, if I'm not mistaken, that's why you started your podcast too, right? Originally was to... Yeah, convey these ideas to a Spanish-speaking audience. Exactly. Um, and how wonderful to like have, especially in the style that we do, a book, a manual that someone can read um, that is is in their own language. Like that, that has the potential to be a game changer. I, I think it's wonderful that you're doing that. Oh, hopefully, I, I just want people to play the same things that I want to play. <laughs> right. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> if ever, if anything else happens, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, not looking to be the dull clothes of the Spanish speaking world, but <laughs> I just want uh, to have friends. <laughs> right. Just want to have friends, which is the uh, probably the opposite of what Dell clothes wanted. So um, <laughs> exactly. You yeah. see, that's, that's my justification. I just want to have friends. So I started writing a book. Yeah, what? that's actually that is a perfect example. <laughs> that is exactly what a justification is. Um, yeah. And I believe that writing fr- or writing a book will help me get friends. Um, <laughs> Which is great. Uh, th- that could literally be a sketch. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, that I mean, that's like, that's kind of the thing, too, um, to dive just casually back into theory again. Yes. Sometimes I think about, uh, you know, sometimes the, the game of the scene is an unusual thing that, like, pops up. But what I've really kind of, like, I haven't figured out exactly how to teach this, and maybe you can help me out with this, but there's another way that you find that you can find game that is just taking something normal and just heightening it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so for example, this would be like, you are in real life writing an improv book um, uh, that is in Spanish. Um, and selfishly, a lot of the reason why you're doing it is because <laughs> you, you want, you want friends uh, that, that can do improv with you. And that makes sense. And it's all logical and it's nothing really unusual about that. Yeah. But if you were to change the, if you were to change it just slightly and have it be uh, you are, you, you take the improv part of it and, and you just are someone who wants friends and you think the only way to get friends is to write books. Um, suddenly we have an absurd character yeah. um, and it's the same behavior. It's just, we took it and we tweaked it slightly to make it unusual. Even now I'm kind of talking in circles about it, but this is something I've been thinking about. Do, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, there's this book. I'm, I'm not sure which one the Tom Salinsky book. Tom Salinsky okay. and someone else wrote a book about improv and improv handbook. I'm not sure. And they talk about, they are talking about game-based improv, mm-hmm. but they talk about how certain characters do something that is either uh, either the opposite of what we expect or so, uh, an extreme version or something arbitrary. Right. And maybe that's uh, the thing. Yeah, games can be a person behaving uh in a way that was unexpected, or maybe just an extreme version. And uh, I was actually talking about this with, I'm not sure if it was Brandon Garner or or maybe Will Hines, that about improv, how sometimes you don't need to have justification yeah. because the behavior is something that is sound. It's just an extreme version. So if I'm jealous, that's normal, and I'm jealous... Uh, because my partner is having, uh, is just being friendly. Right. Uh, then 
okay, that's normal. That's a regular behavior, hateful behavior, but that's a behavior. <laughs> and right. uh, maybe now this person is the most jealous person in the world. That right. doesn't need a justification. It's just someone taking it like three levels up. And yeah, you know what? That's okay. You know what? You know what it maybe is, or at least a way of looking at it. It's that okay. So it's starting with the justification first, quote unquote. It's like so. It's like in a in a scene where someone okay. Let's go back to the airplane scene. Yeah. Um, where it's just uh, they're turning off all the safety equipment. That is, we're seeing the we're seeing the unusual uh, behavior first, and then we have to go back and find out why the reason is they're doing it. Um, whereas, and let's say the justification was, um, I, uh, you know, it's just, I'm lazy and I don't want to deal with all the safety stuff. Um, and that's the emotional reasoning behind it. And that becomes the justification. So it's like, I'm lazy. I don't want to deal with it. Um, but then what would happen? The, uh, the flip side of that is what if we started a scene where someone just said like, you know, I'm kind of a lazy guy, you know, I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of lazy cut to them in an airplane. And yeah. they're shutting down all the safety equipment. It's the same thing. It's just opposite. It's just we gave the core human reason and then grew that into, into something rather than having it be the heightened thing and then figuring out how it heightened to that place to begin with. Um, theories. but, uh, I- <laughs> well, but yeah, It's the thing about the, the close-up and the zoom out. Yeah, it's like yes. we see this character being just lazy uh, on his couch. And then we open up and then we see, oh, and it's a... And uh, and I'm not sure this person uh, plays football with his friends. So he's the lazy guy in the team. And then we are just opening up the shot. And then we find out this person is a pilot as well. So then we see everywhere this behavior. But yeah, we're beginning in the most grounded way of, yeah, I'm just lazy. Love it. And I think that's that's kind of, in some ways, that's like the difference between um, a lot of what I see in like, the game-based like UCB world versus like um, IO or Second City or uh, that more relationship-based improv world. Um, and maybe this is a, too big of an assumption, but I think what I see is that in a lot of long-form institutions where they teach relationship and not necessarily game, mm-hmm. they start with behaviors that are normal and then they just put those in context, like the reverse, like starting lazy on the couch and then putting him playing football and then playing him putting them on the plane um like i see that a lot and they don't call it game because it starts in a very grounded real relationship place um but then you have ucb which flips that on its head not all the time but has terminology for flipping that on its head and finding the unusual behavior first and then walking back which also explains why justification wasn't as big of a thing until ucb came along this again Totally could be talking out of my ass, but like <laughs> this is my theory as I'm talking to you. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> we will never know, but that sounds reasonable. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for interviewing me, Francisco. Um, <laughs> um, we are just having so, conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's great. I love out. this. I, I, I love it. I love it. Um, so zooming out, um, using that as a theme for today. Uh, also, we're talking on Zoom, so, you know, oh. uh, connections. Yeah, we're getting towards the third beat now. Uh, <laughs> connections. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> um, 
what uh, what inspires you to pick the topics that you talk about on uh, your podcast, Long Form Short Pod? Like, because you have a lot of like topics that it, it feels like you chose them on purpose as something you wanted to talk about. So, what's your process for choosing uh, what to make episodes for? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's been so long <laughs> because <laughs> I, I mean, the first episode it was all about uh, like my main beliefs about. Improv and maybe doing this, uh, going through the curriculum of, yeah, right. you, we have our reality and then we have, uh, unusual thing and then we have heightening and yeah, like going through that. And after I got through with those, I started thinking about, yeah, what are some things that either in the moment are important to me or have been interesting? I, I'm, I, I'm I'm a nerd, so that's pretty clear. So they I can't I am prone to go to uh, Reddit from time to time and just see what's going on there, and they they sometimes um, do a lot of interesting discussions about improv, and I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about this as well, and maybe take this subject that is part of the conversation and just add my my uh, two cents to this conversation. I, I don't know. And sometimes something happens in the school or something that I discovered during a class. I don't know. It's, it varies. It makes sense. Fluid. Makes sense. Yeah. Gotcha. I, you talked about a curriculum. Do you have, have you had any say at the curriculum at the assembly or are you just beholden to it? Um, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a give and take situation. Uh, the assembly in Toronto, they have this, curriculum and they passed it on to us and then we saw it and then we went okay we can do this our way as well they actually they start with game i believe they start doing what we call 201 that's their 101 so we had to create a 101 on the fly that is uh, some basic improv things because in toronto what they did is they had this new theater that was the assembly, and they grabbed certain people that came from Second City that had a uh, certain formation. And since Second City doesn't have uh, long form anymore, people just ended up their journey of games and and uh, writing through improv. And if they wanted to do long form, they have now this the assembly thing to work on that. So they didn't need to have the 101. We did. The thing is... Um, we were so much into UCB and then we found out how the assembly was doing things. And we were, we were like certain things from UCB, we can work out in here and certain things that we have learned here or there, we can make them happen here. So um, it's been a collective effort. I am currently the head of training, but we have certain, okay. certain parameters to, uh, to follow and Sarah has a lot of say in, in the curriculum as well. She's the artistic director, but she's also the general director of the whole thing. So yeah, I have a say, but we have to follow certain things to right. go through. Yeah. Um what what do you think makes a good curriculum? Because I, I've been I mean, it matters less now, but like <laughs> I, I've been like working on uh, my curriculum for like relentless improv. And I was always like massaging it. And like, I still go back to it sometimes and be like, what? It's like, 
what I'm trying to think of a, a question here like a lot of times what i run into is deciding what concepts to teach first like for example like how much should i get into like group mind and support before like for example um i i struggle with whether i should really focus on group mind and, or, and support before i teach game of the scene or whether i should teach game of the scene first and then teach that stuff it's like how do you prioritize what to teach first and how do you prioritize what not to teach and what to teach? And this can also apply to like coaching too and not just yeah. teaching. I think it. we have to – that's uh, the correct way to see it, I think. Uh, just seeing what's working or not and adapting to it. And maybe that's what mm-hmm. you – as you say, you have to massage your um, your curriculum or the things you're doing with your teams that you're coaching – and yeah, we have this curriculum that we have eight classes just set up. And then I've been, we've been moving some classes around like, okay, character we're going to teach in class two, not in class seven. Okay. So we start moving things, group work, we're going to merge with this other thing so we can introduce uh, justification, but justification, we're going to move to the uh, fourth class. And then we're going to move it to the second class. I don't know. We we tend to do a lot of moving around because we are learning as we are doing the thing. And as we are teaching, we are finding out, okay, uh, they should be more uh, – well, this actually happened with our 101 the first time we, we were uh, teaching it. We found out that they needed more of a scene work kind of class because mm. they were like, okay, we have all these concepts – and all those exercises, but they are not doing scenes where they can apply those those uh, newfound uh, concepts. So we had to include something about scene work and something that, that was more free flowing than exercises. Interesting. So, so yeah, yeah I. That's really. Um really, really similar to something that like uh, happened to us too, because we're doing a level one. And there were a lot of exercises. Um, and well, originally we actually didn't even touch on game in level one. Um, it was all, uh, and I don't know if, if you do or not, but like it was all just basic scene work stuff and a lot of like exercises and games and like even some short form games thrown in there. But after we ran that a couple times, we started being like, well, um, really exactly what you said. And we started coming up with this idea of like, well, let's do like the three line scene approach, but let's, let's like give them a who and a what and a where and see what they do with it. And that way we can coach them as if they were already good at that. And then slowly we can start stripping away and they have to incorporate it themselves so that by the end of the level, they can do a scene where they can fully establish a base reality um, without it being given anything. And in the meantime, they get to be coached on all these concepts, but with the training wheels of being given a base reality. Um, And I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. We haven't actually... But when we were going to do that is when the pandemic hit. So we never got a chance to experiment uh, with it. Um, but I mean, I wonder if that seems like a sound thing to you. Like, would that be something that you think would work? Uh, at this point, I'm just asking you advice. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I'm the most qualified guy. <laughs> I mean, you've had Brian O'Connell and Kim Alu on the podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, I I think you're great. I Like, like I said, we, we're kindred spirits. So it's like, yeah. let the other half of me in Mexico figure this out. <laughs> Why, thank you. Uh, uh well, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, 
I think we the thing we do or we have been doing actually is thinking about how to set up our students for success so they yes. can feel like yes we're doing this and we're doing this right so we have the order where i mean the the exercise list for class we usually end up with something fun and something that can be like okay we're doing this and we didn't notice we just learned this whole set of skills uh from the last i don't know the last two hours so that's cool and then they start achieving that by themselves and it is pretty satisfactory and, and addictive to them even i think yeah i love that like how do you um this is here's a question and this is something i struggle with in my teaching and coaching how much should you let the exercise and the scenes teach the students versus how much lecture and how much side coaching like what is the balance there for you I wish I was more balanced towards, well, <laughs> less balanced and more towards doing scenes because I sometimes feel like I'm talking too much and I am mm. like dropping information bomb after information bomb because I get passionate <laughs> and then I just yeah. start like, yeah, this is like the thing that Del Close was talking about. And they're like, <laughs> what are you talking about, man? We oh man, I relate it. with that so hard. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> I mean, it's fun for, for me, I guess, but and for for some of the students, that's also informative and they love it. But some people maybe just want to play. And, you know, because improv is a place where, that you can get through many roads. And maybe you just yeah. wanted to be, have a hobby and, or your friend, your friend insisted on you uh, being a part of their experience. And then you are just stuck with this guy just nerding out about <laughs> how Keith Johnstone is, wasn't doing the great thing instead of the thing that Del Close was doing. I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times w what I've started framing it to myself as is that kind of the purpose of coaching and teaching is to give parameters. It's like, I want you to work on this thing within these parameters. Because I think if you the danger of just letting them loose and you don't really say anything is that they don't learn anything. Yeah. And I know that there is something to the fact that just doing reps and just doing it will help. But I think at a certain point you might as well just be doing an improv jam because they need to have some level of direction about what is, um, it's kind of, like, are you familiar with like the concept of like flow, um, by it's this Russian guy who has an unpronounceable last name. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I don't know if you've heard it, but there's this concept of like, if a person is challenged enough, but not so challenged that they get discouraged. Um, and this is like a scientific studies have like shown this, you get into like a flow state of like, where you're just in the moment, just doing something and you're learning, um, and you're challenged, but you're not, um, you're not defeated. Um, okay. And I think what can happen is that if you talk too much, you end up like either boring them or you end up getting people in their heads. But if you don't talk enough, there's not enough challenge. So there's, there's nothing really to be gained. So the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle where you can give people a challenge, but you don't, um, you don't discourage them or over challenge them. Yeah. Um, kind of rambled there, but I, I think I'm not good at it. I'm not, I'm okay. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but that's where the answer is. And that's what I, I strive to do. I think, and I think it's basically what you're saying. 
Yeah, I mean, in my case, I I would love to do it, but I just can't. I just keep talking and talking and talking, and it seems you are <laughs> achieving it. So that's good. I, I, at least you are more aware than I am. <laughs> well, I, well, now you're aware. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah. love uh, one thing. I I dislike about uh, certain. Uh, approaches to do improv it's the exercises versus scenes how do you feel about that how much of your uh and i'm now i'm asking a question <laughs> no you're fine you're fine <laughs> how do you feel about this uh ratio of exercises like isolation exercises uh in proportion to just do scenes and let's see what happens where are you on that map well here's what i here's how i usually approach it um so if I'll, I'll talk about like how I coach first. Usually how I'll coach is I will present what we are working on that day. And I'll give a, a short lecture. Um, if I'm catching myself, it won't be too long. It'll only be a couple minutes. And I'll talk about that idea that we're working with today. And then we'll do a, um, an ex you know what? Actually, I, I coached team this morning. So I'll just walk you through like what I did. Like um, I said that we are going to be uh, working on because the week before we had worked exclusively on justification, uh, and this week I wanted to take justification and then take it to the next level of applying that and um, finding out your why and then doing stuff in the world that's fun um, mm. because you have that why because you have that game. Um, so I, I gave a little lecture about that, uh, and then we played the game uh, Premise Lawyer, mm -hmm. which is the game where uh, there's one everyone accuses one person of doing different things and they have to justify it, um, and then. God, what did we do after that? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, we played the game. Uh, uh, it's a Will Hines game called, um, uh, I forget what it is, but it's basically, I forget what it's called, but basically what it is is that uh, there's two people. It's called You Wanted to See Me. Yes. Um, yeah, where one person said, you wanted to see me, boss? And the boss says like, yes. Uh, or, you, we want to see me, Farmer John. And they say like, yes, I wanted you to get, uh, to get some hay from the store. I want you to feed the cows and I want you to burn the barn down. Uh, the idea being <laughs> the first two things are normal. Third thing is unusual. Then the first person has to say like, um, has to question why that is the other person. And they have to keep doing that until they find a justification. Yeah. Uh, and then what I would do is that once they find a justification, I would pause and say like, okay. And I would say like, this is what your justification is. Now I want you to move on and I want you to do fun stuff with that. Um, and I did that, uh, over and over. And like, then what we did after that is that I just, uh, I gave them monologues and they initiated premise scenes off of it. And I just reminded them, Hey, I, what I want you to do is find a justification Then I want you to play with it. And then I let them do that. And I would side coach them through the scenes. So the overall arc of that is that I start with a lecture. Uh, then I give them a warm up exercise that has to do with that lecture. Then I give them an exercise um, that starts opening things up more. That's a bigger exercise than a warm up. Then I start doing structured uh, scenes that are, uh, um, side coached. And then if there's still time, uh, if we're working on a form, then I'll have them run the form and then notes after the form. So the idea is that you start with a small idea um, with as small parameters as possible. Uh, and then throughout the course of the session, you start expanding those parameters more and more and give them more and more freedom to apply those lessons. That's my theory of it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it because that's yeah, I think that's a way to go. I sometimes, maybe that's me as a player, and I am known to uh, to be confused by how many hats I'm wearing. Like, I'm the coach right. and the teacher and the player. Uh, 
I enjoy doing scenes a lot and exercises. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just like get like, okay, can we get you scenes, please? <laughs> so I just <laughs> I just want to play, and then yeah, because then it's like, oh no, you just had your three lines. That's it. And I was like, oh my god, but that was gonna be so much fun. Yeah, but yeah, I I think the approach is just to start off with the the thing you want to encourage people to do, and then you try to take them to their brother uh kind of work so they can apply it i guess so yeah right and i think that actually i i hadn't thought of this until just now but this actually ties back to um structuring the levels themselves or even the an entire improv program it's almost like a day of an or, or one improv class and an improv level is a microcosm of the entire level which is yeah. a microcosm of the entire program because the idea should be in, in one class you should be given a concept and have it uh, be a, a tight parameter and then slowly grow it out and give them more and more freedom. Well, an entire level should be used. It's kind of has like these parameters of like, these are the things we're working on and you get more and more freedom throughout the level. And an entire program should be like, here's our core concepts as an improv theater or school. And yeah. we're going to like, we're going to hold your hand until you don't need your hand held anymore. Um, yeah. At least that's the ideal. Um, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> Well, yeah. uh, Francisco, we are uh, we are at about an hour and ten minutes. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that went by quite fast. I, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed talking with you today. Yeah, same. Um, is there uh, anything else you wanted to mention or talk about uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, well, this is uh, I'm not known to be a hippy dippy kind of teacher, but. Uh, okay. Just a reminder, people, improvising people, that you are enough, and that means you are enough doing improv, and you you are enough bringing yourself to stage, and you are enough in life. I, I remember listening to that on an episode of the Pack Theater podcast. Mm. Miles had, I think, Kevin Dorf as a guest, and Miles Stroth, who is this just soft guy? <laughs> it's kind of scary, actually. And (laughs) he was talking to Kevin and he was his teacher. So Kevin actually taught uh, the the importance of being enough to to Miles. And in the interview, Miles just cried. He was like really emotional because he found out like uh, all those years ago and that changed his life. And uh, I am afraid because I... I just said that Miles cried and I believe he's going to chase me. And yeah, that sounds like Miles. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't taken a class uh, with him, like the, the full four uh, classes thing they're doing now with position play. But I think I am afraid now that I said that. But the thing yes. is, uh, yeah, people, you are enough. Just think about that. I believe that's a great thing to think about life, improv, and being truthfully in scenes. So that's practical and philosophical. Man, I love that. I, I agree with that so much. In fact, <clears throat> I actually attribute, there's a moment where I wasn't so great at improv and there was a moment where I started getting significantly better. And that moment was when I realized that my life experience, my point of view, who I am as a person is all I need on stage. Um, like there is there is like a definite moment in time when that happened. I think it was 2018. Um, but like, (laughs) there was just this moment where, um, have you, are you familiar with the, uh, flashing exercise? Uh, it comes from Ian Roberts. I love it. I, it was actually, I learned that exercise. 
Um, and I was so for the audience uh, listening right now, uh, listeners, audience. I'm I'm still used to being live on stage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, for the uh, for the listeners, the flashing exercise. It comes from Ian Roberts, who's one of the founders of UCB, and his idea is that um, whenever uh, when you're building the base reality of a scene, or really anywhere in a scene. If you are really in tune with yourself, your your mind will give you flash memories of things in your life, like perspectives that you have, memories that you have, stories that are in your brain. And those can be directly translated and brought with you in the moment in an improv scene. And there's a whole exercise for it that I won't get into right now. But I remember doing that exercise for the first couple of times. And I was like, I was just like dumbstruck by being like, wow, this is what improv actually is. Mm-hmm. This is what they meant when they wrote the book truth and comedy this is the truth that they were talking about they're talking about the truth of yourself and bringing that on stage and that can mean characters that can mean anything but like i think any truly great improviser are bringing their own tastes their own thoughts their own memories um their own points of view above all with them on stage um and when you do that it it becomes like a flow to like return to that um because you are just being true to yourself in the moment, which again, like you said, is advice for improv and life. And I would say is the biggest lesson I've got from improv um, applied to how good I am at improv and also the biggest lesson in improv I've gotten that applies directly to my life. Um, So yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's amazing. The exercise is amazing. The concept is amazing. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's a a great note to end on. Uh, Is there anything that you'd like to plug um, or promote while you're here? Uh, Well, yeah, I I could plug my podcast whenever it comes back, (laughs) long from short, but I believe it will come back uh, this month. Let's say that this month. And I will have a certain gentleman as a guest called Andy. So, you know, oh. <laughs> that will happen. Uh, well, thank you, sir. And <laughs> I will say also for anyone listening, there is still a, a large backlog of, uh, of podcast episodes of long form short pod. Yeah. And they're really great. That's how I learned about Francisco originally. Um, there's great bite sized things to just listen to. Like I would drive to the supermarket in a five minute drive and listen to an episode of it. And like, it's great. It's a really great podcast and I highly recommend it. Um, well, Francisco, thank you so much um, for sitting down with me and having this conversation slash interview uh, <laughs> slash you interviewing me a couple times. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been amazing. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Improv. And thanks to Francisco Antion for being on the show. I really, really enjoyed having him on. He's such a smart guy, so fun to talk to. And since we recorded this podcast, his book has actually come out. It's uh, in Spanish, and it's available on Amazon.com, and it's called Long Form Short Book. Uh, Also... I can't give too much away, but I'm I'm getting ready to release, along with my friends at Relentless Comedy, a new improv podcast. Uh, I can't give away any details yet, but it's going to be really, really fun, and I can't wait to have it out. But stay tuned for that, and uh, until then, uh, have a good one. Hey, before you go, I want to take one more opportunity to plug Rotary, which is my passion project. Uh, It's an improvised comedy podcast that follows a series of characters through a series of phone calls, and it's really, really fun. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, and at facebook.com slash rotarypod. Have a great one.